Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 to 14. All right. Again, you've had one, one week off. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Ephesians, Christian, you are wealthy. God has been so good enriching you, taking you from a sinner to a saint, from a pauper to a spiritual prince. Chapters 4, 5, and 6. Now, therefore, walk worthy of this great high calling. Walk worthy of the amazing blessings that he's showered upon you. In the second half of this book is where we are, chapter 5. And Paul is calling us to action. And I'll say it again. I need to say it every time so there's never a misunderstanding. He's calling us to action, not to earn God's love, but to return God's love. Right? If you're you're here thinking, well, I have to be good so that God will like me. No, there's no there's no way that you could be good enough for a holy God to like you. Instead, he loved you so much that he sent his only son to pay for your sin, to give you his righteousness in in exchange for your filthy rags. So Paul is saying here in chapter five, look, this is how you walk worthy of your great high calling. This is how you walk like the royal priest that you are or the royal priestess. This is how you walk like the child of the king that he has made you to be. You used to be an ain't. Now you're a saint. You used to be a spiritual pauper. Now you're a spiritual prince or princess. And Paul is all he's saying is now act like it. Or perhaps we would say dress like it. We've talked about it. This is these couple chapters would apply that uh, that phrase. The clothes make the man. Paul's saying you are a spiritual prince or princess because of what Jesus has done for you. Now dress like it. Since last chapter, Paul has been our wardrobe consultant, right? Um, this is all kind of based on this very central fact. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, "Look, if if anyone in, is in Christ, if he is born again, okay, then he is a new creation." Behold, all things have passed away. All things have become new. It's your completely different person than you used to be. Okay, if you are not yet a born again Christian, then you were only born once, right? Your only wardrobe, if I'm speaking to you and you're an unbeliever here this morning, your only wardrobe is the filthy rags of your own righteousness, your self-righteousness. But if you are in Christ, if you've been born again, you've been born twice. And so you have two wardrobes that you get to choose from. See, that's what it said in chapter four. Look back at chapter four just real quick to get your mind, your your bearings again. Chapter four, Ephesians four, verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, if you're a Christian born again, you have two wardrobes. I want you to put off that old nasty you. and I want you to put on the new righteous robes that Jesus purchased for you. Paul's ongoing question to the Christian. Are you really going to wear that? Are you really going to wear that out? As a Christian, you're going to wear those filthy rags or will you choose to wear the righteous robes 
that Jesus bought for you. If you've been with us, uh, other than last week, we've been uh, having a little bit of fun. Um, yeah, only a little bit is allowed here. Uh, talking about going through the different parts of the old man versus the new man. And we would talk about something that, that Paul says, no, that's, that's not the new you, that's the old you. And we would say, ooh, nasty. And then we would talk about what to replace it with, which is the new man, the righteous robes. And we would say, new, righteous. You want to review it real quick? Okay. This is the only fun you're going to have all morning. Here it is. Um, verse 25 basically says, look, I want you to put away the old filthy rags of lying. And instead, I want you to put on the truth. Verse 26. Look, I want you to put away the old filthy rags of sinful anger. And instead, I want you to put on the prompt pursuit of peace. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Go after peace. That is new. Righteous. Verse 28. I want you to put off stealing and freeloading like you used to. That was. And instead, put on hard work, good, solid, hard work. Instead of freeloading, be free giving, new, righteous. And in verse 31, two weeks ago, Paul says, I want you to put off the old, filthy, nasty rags of bitterness and rage. And instead, put on the new you, kindness, forgiveness, new, righteous. Okay, that's where we've been. Paul is just going through the closet. That's got to go. Mercy. (laughs) And here he comes to the area, chapter five, verse three of sexual sin and says, this is nasty. This doesn't fit the new you. You guys remember the the OJ trial? Still trying to forget it? Yeah, me too. But you remember the big thing, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit, right? Paul is saying, Christian, if this sexual sin doesn't fit, you've got to quit. Verse 3 and 4, he basically says, look, this impurity just doesn't fit you anymore. Verses 5 and 6, he says, look, idolatry never fits in heaven. And verse 8 and 9, he says, Therefore, I want you to completely put off impurity. I want you to put off the works of darkness, and I want you to put on the righteous robes of light. Over the last few weeks, one thing I feel like the Lord is teaching me is to try to focus on what it is He really wants to accomplish every Sunday. Lord, what is it that you want for your beloved today? Um, I've heard somebody, Andy Stanley, um, has a podcast and he describes it as the win. What's the win? What is the thing that if this is accomplished, we'll all know that was awesome. That's what God wanted to do. Well, the win for today is that every Christian in the room would completely put away the old man who's sexually sinful and would put on the righteous robes of light that Jesus bought for us. Is that a good win? You guys interested? Let's pray. Lord, that's what we ask for. Lord, I believe this is from your lips. Lord, this is what you want for your beloved. You want us set free. Lord, you don't want us to be uh, mired 
in that nasty old rag. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord. You'd bring us to a crisis point in a good way, Lord, that we would look back um, at this day, Lord, is the day that we, we made a decision and you, you begin to change us so radically in this area. We love you and we thank you and we ask you to do it because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first Paul says to the saint, okay, the born-again saint, look, you guys, you need to know, impurity no longer fits you. You guys read the word fitting, verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So once again, Paul goes into the Christian's closet and goes, this has got to go. Basically, he's saying every day, every minute, you get to choose, right, between filthy rags and righteous robes. And this time he looks at the sexual impurity of the old man and says, this is nasty. This doesn't fit you anymore. Um, found an article here. I was alerted to it by Facebook. Some of you guys know this person. Seen this magazine going around lately? It's a local magazine. It's a pretty awesome story. This guy, um, his name is B.E. Thompson. And right here, he's 540 pounds. Right here, he's 270 pounds. Literally, he's half the man he used to be. He's a new man. Now, they put him in a blue shirt with a yellow collar, but I can promise you, you can see it's not the same shirt. Because... The old clothes don't fit him. Do you get it? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, this is not who you are. This doesn't fit you anymore. Verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Um, Look at verse 3. It says, Paul says that fornication is the very first thing he says has got to go. What's the word fornication mean? Um, if, you, if you've ever wondered, maybe you're not even sure what that word means. Unfortunately, the concept, even the concept is considered old fashioned. But if you've ever wondered why Christians are seem to be so uptight about premarital sex. That's because it's right here. Fornication includes all sex before marriage. But actually, this word is much broader than that. It includes all sex outside of biblical marriage, adultery, homosexuality, perversion. But it's still actually broader than that, y'all. Fornication, the word is pornea. It's where we get the word pornography. It means any sexual act outside of the sacred gift of marriage. It means anything sexual that you do or that you dwell upon Apart from your spouse. And in case that definition isn't broad enough yet, Paul adds, verse 3, all uncleanness. And then notice this, verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. Uh, It could also read, let it not even be named with you. The best commentary I heard on this particular verse was, look, the name Christian 
and these things, fornication, uncleanness, uh, covetousness, these things should not even be named in the same sentence with the name Christian. Why? Because it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the new you. It's not who you are anymore. Verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Some things just aren't fitting. They don't fit together. They shouldn't even be named in the same sentence. Let me give you an example. Brain surgeon. Epilepsy. Probably not in the same sentence you'd prefer, right? Uh, Night watchman. Narcolepsy. Uh, Supermodel. Beer belly. These things should not be named in the same sentence. And Paul says, saint, sexual sin. The word saint means holy one, set apart, different, pure. Now, please, please, again, don't miss this. I want to repeat it the umpteenth time here. Paul is not saying, look, you need to put on the garb of a saint and then you'll become one. No, Paul is saying if you've been born again, God has already made you a saint Since you're now a saint, now you're to wear the righteous robes that Jesus bought at such great expense. I'll I'll say it a different way. Again, to any unbeliever here, you don't become a saint by being good. You become a saint by crying out to Jesus. Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me. Pay for my sin. Make me justified just as if I'd never sinned. Lord, make me pure, make me holy, make me one of your saints. Jesus promises every single time to answer a prayer like that by swapping out your filthiness with his righteous robes. He promises to make you pure and holy, a saint, holy, set apart, pure, different than the world. Paul says, look, sexual sin is not fitting of a saint, a pure, set apart, one. That's why, without exception, what would you think if Billy Graham said this to you? That's nasty. What would you think if? It's because we know it's not fitting. So Paul looks in the closet and he points out one ill-fitting garment that is sexual impurity that's acted upon or what you look at. But notice he goes further. Thanks, Paul. He says he looks in the closet. and He goes, oh, there's another thing that needs to go. It's nasty. Not only what we do and what we look at sexually, but what we say. Look at verse 4. Neither filthiness, word is obscenity, nor foolish talking, nor, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. Paul says, that kind of language, it doesn't fit the new you. Filthiness, the word is obscenity, it's sexual profanity. Foolish talking is literally moron talk. It's toilet humor. I'll confess to you the same I did to the first service. This one verse here has kept me from using a certain congressman as an example this week. Right? Paul says, look, you're a prince. Don't talk like a moron. And then he says, coarse jesting. And again, this one convicts me. Um, 
It means a well-turned phrase. Literally, that's what it means. This refers to the guy. I'm thankful that this isn't so much me anymore, but I definitely can relate to this. It refers to the guy, and I'll bet you know him. Perhaps you are him. He can turn any phrase into innuendo. He can take any harmless conversation into the gutter with a very clever quip. He's the like, wink, wink, nudge, 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 right? Maybe this is you. This has been me at times. You're not a court jester. You're a coarse jester. It's not a compliment that the Bible puts you right next to moron talk. It, it's the person who draws attention to their own cleverness. And I've done this at the expense of the minds of your listeners. And this week, maybe the aforementioned congressman has been a gold mine for you. Paul would say, look, you're not to wear the robes of the coarse jester. Don't wear the robes of the fool. You're to wear the robes of a prince or a princess. That's who you are, Christian. Convicting question. Does the fruit of your lips fit the titles that you've been given. Righteous, holy, saint, royal priest. Your name is up there with Billy Graham. He's a saint. You're a saint. He says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather, he says, giving of thanks. He says this to the, the gutter-mouthed Christian. He says, look, put off that filthy old man. Put on the princely robes of thanksgiving. Does anybody else, when you look at that, you're like, huh. That seems like a, a, almost a left turn. How is giving thanks related to this subject? Is it a left turn? Well, look, go back to verse 3. Did you notice? Maybe you thought I, I, I forgot it. Did you notice that verse 3 says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as it's fitting for saints. Well, there's another thing. Does covetousness seem kind of odd in this portion? I mean, it seems other than that word that happens twice. It seems fully devoted to sexual impurity. And you get this word covetousness. I mean, at first glance, it's almost like Paul, you know, he's a he's a gifted writer. Maybe he's just a, a poet. He knows the poetic rhythm of threes, right? It's like, oh, I got two sexual words here. Uh, I'll throw in covetousness. <laughs> no, no. It's not a mistake because it happens again in verse five. You see, he puts the exact in the same order. But not to mention, too, that the Holy Spirit is the one who writes the book. So every single word is inspired. So here's my question. Why in the world? Does he put in this word covetousness? Totally makes sense when you think of it. Covetousness means a greedy desire to have more. To not being satisfied with what God has provided for you. And Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I think he inextricably links covetousness with fornication and uncleanness, with sexual sin. When you think of it, it totally makes sense. Think about this. Adultery, pornography, at its source, if that's you, you're not satisfied with what God has provided you. It's a greedy desire for more. Maybe premarital sex is where you're at. You're single and 
This is something that you've been doing for a while. What this really says is that you're not satisfied with God's timing for you. Perversion of any kind. What it says is you're not satisfied with God's parameters that he's given. And if you've got a a filthy mouth, Jesus says it reveals what's in your heart, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what it says about your heart is that you're not satisfied. You're greedy for something more. You're, You're wanting something more, whether it's attention, whatever it is. No wonder then that Paul says, put aside the filthy words and replace them with fitting words of thanksgiving. The, the cure, this is not, might sound weird, but the cure for covetousness, for not being satisfied, is thanksgiving. Let me show you how it works. You're tempted to commit adultery with your eyes or um, with pornography or, or even uh, in the flesh. Lord, I thank you for my spouse. You're committed, or you're, you're, uh, you're tempted to commit uh, fornication as a single person. Lord, I thank you for my future spouse. Lord, your plan, whatever it is, is enough for me. I'm thankful. Y'all, that's a great way, actually, to help defeat all kinds of avarice. True thankfulness. That's why I think worship is so powerful. We get together and we proclaim the truth. We're going to sing before we leave here today. Lord, all of you is enough for me. To to be thankful reminds us of how good God has been. And it makes us less uh, greedy, less covetous, less impure. So Paul says, look, take off the impurity of all kinds because impurity does not fit the new you. But it gets worse. There's more in case you were uncomfortable to be here. Next comes a warning. And he says, look, idolatry doesn't fit in God's heaven. Verse 5, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He says, look, idolaters have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You see what Paul's doing here? He's lumping fornication, uncleanness, all sexual sin. I think he's lumping it all under this heading of covetousness. And then he slaps on a label, idolatry. You say, well, I'm not an idolater. I just look at porn. You might be interested to know the word idolatrous. Idol is image. Latrous is servant or slave. It literally means a slave to images. Paul would say, have you forsaken the creator, the worship of the creator for to worship the creature, just like we learned about in Romans chapter one. Paul says, look, verse five, for this, you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This is where the Christian says, well, but. God's okay with my sin, right? Because I'm a Christian. Well, verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. 
Y'all, this is where the, the compassionate pastor, I want to come in. I want to come in and swoop in and say, look, look, it's, it's okay. It's going to be okay. But it's like Paul heads me off at the pass. Let, look, let no one deceive you. I don't care if it's Rob Bell or if it's Doug Teal. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because these things of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Well, sorry, I mentioned his name, Rob Bell. Um, let me take a tiny little side trip. Thursday, if you can be here, there's a whole subject as to whether God would ever allow anyone to go to hell. Thursday, I found four clips that total of about 25 minutes off the web that I think address this beautifully. And you're, you're invited to come to see uh, where, where we're at with that. But suffice it to say, I believe in hell. And it says right here, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. OK, what am I saying? Am I saying that? Are you, are you saying, Pastor, that if I look at porn or I commit adultery, that I'm going to hell? No. Here's what I'm saying. If that's still who you are, you're going to hell. If that still is the real you, that's what this says. See, Paul won't let me, the Spirit of God won't let me comfort you in your sin. He won't let me say to you, look, it's going to be okay. I think he wants us to be uncomfortable here. I do want to show you this, though. Maybe this will clarify for you. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 parallels verse 3 exactly with some very important differences. Notice verse 3. It talks about fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness, right? You notice that it's speaking of acts, individual acts, specific sins, right? And what, what verse 3 is saying, look, Christian, if you're a Christian, these sh- things shouldn't even be named among you, not even in the same sentence. But please notice that verse 3 does not say, commit a sin, go to hell. It doesn't say that at all. Verse 3 speaks of sins. Verse 5 speaks not of just sins, but of sinners. Christian, are you still a sinner? You may be one who sins, but are you still a sinner? Is is this who you are at your core? That's the question. Look at verse 3. Talks about the sin of fornication. Verse 5 talks about fornicators. This is who they are. This is what they do. Verse 3 talks about all uncleanness. Verse 5 talks about the unclean person. That's who they are. That's what they do. Verse 3 talks about covetousness. But verse 5 talks about the covetous man. Let me see if I can clear it up. Verse 3 is warning saints. And I hope that's everyone in the room. Don't sin against your new nature. But verse 5 talks about unbelievers who don't sin against their nature. They sin according to their nature. Look, if you're in a settled pattern of sin, the very first thing you need to figure out is, am I sinning against my new nature? Or am I sinning according to my only nature? If it's the latter... If you're sinning according to your only nature, you've never really been born again. This is probably what you're thinking right now. I'm good. I know. I know I consistently sin in this area. But I said a prayer once. 
I walk down the aisle. Me and God are good. But if it's the former, where you really are a Christian, but you're consistently sinning against your new nature, you're miserable right now. I shared it before, but J. Vernon McGee says, look, the difference between the prodigal son and the pig, they're both in the pig pen, right? Prodigal son says, this is nasty. I'm out of here. I'm going back to my father. The pig says, I'm pretty good here. That's the point. If you're fine with your sin, if if you're like, well, I know I really shouldn't do it, but God forgives me, right? We're okay. You might be the pig. But if if instead you're like, I am so miserable, let me run to my father. That makes you the prodigal son. Please understand, Paul is not saying you better shape up or God will send you to hell. No, he's saying, look at what you're doing. Is what you're doing look exactly like the people around you that are sending themselves to hell? And if so, wake up. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. But implied here is that's not you, is it? Verse 7, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Paul says to the Christian, the real born again Christian who's sinning against his new nature, he calls to you and says, verse 8, listen, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. It's funny, I, um, I read, was been reading this book that I got at the pastor's conference. I would recommend it. I've only, I'm only halfway through it. I can loan it to somebody after I'm done with it. It's called Tempted and Tried. How many of you know the name Temple Grandin? Okay. Famous because, and, and particularly to our family, because she has autism. But she's made an awesome career for herself because she has figured out how to um, help cattle feel really comfortable on their way to the slaughter. Right? That if you look, if you shake them up a little bit, if you shake them up too much, they might jump out of the out of the path of the slaughterhouse. That, that's what the devil wants to do. He wants you to stay in the pig pen, but declare yourself a prodigal. Yeah, I'm going to get around to it. This what this message is designed, it should, it's what God wants. He wants us to be shaken up, to say, I am up, I am out of here. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light. I want to, I'm going to do something unusual. Everybody close your eyes. I usually do this toward the end, but I want, to, I want to strike while the iron is hot. I've been asking the Lord this week to bring us to a crisis. That's a crisis in a good way. And that's so that we can make a decision today to put off the old, to to put on the new. Everybody close your eyes, please. Every eye closed. I promise you, I have a terrible memory. I guarantee you, I I couldn't tell you who raised their hand on the last service. So effectively, it's the Lord alone that is watching you. What I want to ask you, is anyone here willing to admit I have, a, I have a problem in the area of sexual purity. 
Lord, you don't even want these things mentioned in the same sentence with the title Christian and saint. And you call me saint and I've sinned. Lord, I've sinned with my hands or with my eyes or with my mouth. With every eye closed, would anyone here be willing to raise your hand in confession before the Lord? Now's your chance. Anyone? I see that hand. Thank you. I'll forget it. I see that hand. I'll forget it. Anyone else? Thank you. Lord, would you? You see this. You see the hands. Lord, you know the the hearts of the people that perhaps should have raised their hands. Lord, would you come now? Let this be a crisis in a good way moment. From this day forward, Lord, would you help? Would you, would you encourage, would you come alongside and strengthen each one, Lord, to not be a pig, Lord, but to be a prodigal who's running towards you? Lord, would you do it because you love us, because you love them, especially who have been real with you this morning? We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you raise your hand, and, and something I didn't ask you, and maybe maybe I would have got more hands. Maybe maybe you say things that you shouldn't say, and that's what's really convicting to you. If if you are willing to to not only confess but to put off that impurity, the rest of the message is for you. Okay, we're we're not going to do the the time of application like we usually do because this kind of is it. Okay, if you notice, we're like, wow, we still got a lot of verses to go. I promise I won't keep you here till three, two, most. Now, um, rather than have the application time that we do that's with the music and stuff, I just want to show you what I've seen here that is the real practical. This is how the Lord would would have us to go in the direction He would want us to go. First thing I would want to ask Him. This is a problem for you, and you admit it. First thing I feel like the Lord wants me to say to each one of us here. You remember when? Remember when Jesus came up to the, the pool, um, and there was the people that are all laying outside it, and they had the, the the legend that the angel comes and he stirs the waters and right all of that. Remember what Jesus said? He picked out one guy, said, "You, do you want?" To be made well. And the guy said, yeah, yeah, I do, but um, all these things prevent me. Jesus wanted to hear it from his own lips. Do you really want to be made well? If you want to be made well, I have some things here that I feel like the Lord has pointed out to me in these verses. But they're radical. Do you want to be made well? Answer that question. And here's here's the, the things that I've noticed. I've got two eyes. Not I's, but the letter, letter I. I got two E's, and those are the really hard ones. And I have two A's that will wrap it up. First, I. You ready? If you're looking at how... Um, and that's why this message is long, by the way. Because the uh, programmable me would have liked to have had... Okay, well, we'll just cut it off right here. And, um, and then we'll save the rest for, for next week. But that would have left some people in the room waiting a week to know... What can I do in this state that you've declared me to be? Okay, so here we go. First I, if you really want to finally put, a, put this away, settle your identity. That's your first I. Settle your identity. Look at it, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Y'all, that's been Paul's plea this whole time. 
right? This is not who you are. This is not who you are now. Back in the day, yes, this was you. This was the way that you behaved. But now you are a Christian. Now, if today you have not yet given your life to Jesus, there's no hope for you until you make that step, till you settle your identity. Am I, what the Bible says, a child of wrath, a child of disobedience, or am I a child of the Son of God? Am I uh, a joint heir with Christ? You have to settle your identity the very first thing. Now look at it, verse 8. You might have thought, well, back, back in the day, I was, I was in darkness. Paul isn't even that nice to you. <laughs> look at it, he says, back for you were once darkness. You weren't in darkness, you were darkness. He says, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. It reminds me of Matthew 6.22. Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You were once not just in darkness. You were darkness. You were, verse 6, a son or daughter of disobedience. You were one of the children of wrath. But he says now you are light in the Lord. That is, and that's where that word is, is absolutely essential. You can't be light in any other thing unless you are in the Lord, unless you have a relationship with Jesus. So verse 7, he says, look, don't partake any longer with the children of darkness. You used to be this. Now you're this. Settle your identity. Very first thing. Everybody got it? Settle your identity. If you're not sure, am I a child of God? Talk to somebody. Get it settled. Number two, once that's settled, number two, imitate your father. You can see you don't want to imitate your father until you have your identity settled. You don't want to imitate your father if you're, you're, you're a son of wrath. But number two, imitate your father. This takes us back to look at Galatians 5 verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given us himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Look, if you've settled your identity, you can rest assured that God loves you. Because it says right here, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. It's agapetos, it's little loved ones. Once you settle your identity and you know who, whose you are, then the trick is to imitate, to mimic what your dad does. Even Jesus did this when he was on this earth. He says, I don't, I don't do anything of myself. What I see the father do, I do. Right? Like father, like son. That's what this is saying. You start acting like your father in heaven, because that's who he is. He's really your father. Verse two says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. What this is saying is once you've settled your identity, mimic your father and step in the footsteps of your big brother, Jesus. They both sacrificed. Isn't this the whole gospel message? The father sacrificed for you for love's sake. The son sacrificed for you for love's sake. Here's where the rubber hits the road. Are you willing to imitate your big brother and sacrifice for love's sake? I don't know if it's making sense. It does to me. Let's see if I can help you. Your current sin, whether it's pornography, adultery, fornication, whatever it is, the thing that you're wanting to and you're willing to Put aside. Have you ever thought about who you're not walking in love toward when you indulge? 
If it's fornication, that is premarital sex. You are not walking in love toward your future spouse. If it's porn, adultery, you are not walking in love toward your spouse. If it's filthy language, you are not walking in love toward the ones that have to hear it. Maybe they're trying to walk in purity. And you come and to show your cleverness, you make them go in the gutter with you. You're not walking in love. Perhaps up till now, you've been sacrificing them. Your future spouse, your current spouse, the people around you. At the altar of what makes you feel good. You've been sacrificing them at the altar of what makes you feel good. It's now time to act like your big brother. Flip that around. Sacrifice what makes you feel good for your loved one. Make sense? Are you willing to do that? To sacrifice your own pleasure for the sake of love? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, number three. I promise they won't go too, too long. Number one, identity. Number two, imitate. And number three, and these, this is where it really gets tough, because the number three item is the word extricate. How many of you uh, know what the jaws of life are? It's where you extricate someone out of carnage at whatever cost. If you have to lose a leg, lose a limb, you extricate. Verse 11, it says, and have no fellowship. That is koinonia, familiar word. We think of fellowship, we think of potluck, we think of hanging out, right? Just getting comfortable with people. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So we're really getting practical here. Paul says, look, if you're willing to sacrifice your own comfort, your own indulgence for your loved one's sake, if you really want deliverance, here's what you have to do. Totally extricate yourself from that sin. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. No koinonia, no pleasantries. No just hanging out, you know, with that which makes you comfortable. No, completely divorce yourself from the unfruitful works of darkness. I don't know about you, but this reminds me of Matthew 5. Jesus calls for radical amputation, extrication, taking yourself out of it no matter what it costs you. Matthew 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said to, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. These are the words of Jesus, your king. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, he goes right into this extrication. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that none of your members, that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, hopefully you guys already know this. Jesus is not Speaking literally here, there have been people throughout history that have literally gouged out their own eyes. They've cut off their hands. And you know what? They still sin. They still have the same wicked nature in him in them. But Jesus here is not being literal, but he is being radical. You have to understand that he is being really radical about being willing to extricate yourself from that situation. Probably some of you know, I, I don't know if it's a movie that's coming out or has or whatever. A few years back, the, the hiker, 
who who got himself lodged between two rocks when he's hiking. He's way out in the middle of nowhere. He waits days and days. Nobody shows up. Guess what he does? Extricates himself with like a pocket knife. (laughs) All right, that's nasty, right? But I promise you, if you're out there for days and days and it dawns on you, if I don't do something, all of me is going down. The whole thing, death is imminent. It will happen unless I do something radical. So what am I saying here? Look, if you want to stop committing adultery, extricate yourself from it. No matter what it costs you. If the adulteress is at work or the adulterer is at work where you work, do something radical. Cut off Even your income supply, if you have to, trust God. If it's pornography, get a filter for your computer or sell the computer. Do something radical before it kills you or your marriage. This is where the enemy, he's like, he's upset with me right now. Look, don't shake the apple cart. I got them going right where I want them to go. Do something radical is what the Lord is telling you. Look, if premarital sex is your problem, cut off the relationship. Be radical. So number three is extricate. Number four is expose the sin. Look at verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of, that is, uh, in the Greek it means to affirm, to approve. For it is shameful even to approve those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Sorry guys, I have to fly through this. Again, I I would have loved to to pick it up uh, more in depth. But here's what you really have to know from these verses. The main thing you have to understand is the power of light to kill the darkness. Paul says, look, if you're serious, not only do you need to extricate yourself, but you need to expose your sin. You need to confess to someone you trust. You need to bring it out into the light. You need to confess to someone who who you trust who can handle it. You need to make yourself, what's that word, accountable so it's a word we have in, in Christianese, but it really means something. Have someone where you can bring it out into the light and kill that nastiness. Bring it out of the darkness where it grows unhindered like a fungus that it is and bring it into the light. Confess it to someone who can handle it. Confess it to someone you trust. But listen, don't confess it to just anyone. Don't confess it to someone who will tacitly, verse 12, affirm the things that you do in secret. Here's what I mean. Sometimes we might pick an accountability partner. Okay, that person will be gentle with me. They won't really, you know, say much to me. No, this is basically saying you need need somebody who, for lack of a better word, will bust your chops when you need it. You need somebody who will say to you, look, God loves you. He's always loved you. He's going to continue to love you. He chose you for his own. But this behavior is not fitting. This is not fitting of the Christian. 
First John 1 9, perhaps the most freeing verse in the whole Bible. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Absolutely every single time he's faithful to forgive us of our sin. And he's also just. That means he's right to do it. He's faithful to and just to forgive us of our sins, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all uncleanness. Confession is a beautiful thing. And this says, look, you need to expose that to someone who who will treat it seriously, but also show you the love that God has for you. Okay, Um, he says, look, if you'll do these things and I know it's radical, I get it. If you will first settle your identity, then you'll imitate your father being willing to sacrifice for love's sake. If you're willing to extricate yourself no matter what it costs you and you're willing to expose that sin to someone that you trust. Here's what will happen. The fruit of that decision, we skipped it, verse nine, for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Y'all, this is not just a message to, to get us to stop doing stuff. What this is saying is, look, there's a whole abundant life out there that you're missing. Galatians 5 says it this way. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are, listen to the very top three, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts, wrath, selfish ambitions. This is a pretty thorough list. Dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things continually, habitually, if this is who they are, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit comes naturally, it comes over time, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the abundant life. Verse 9 of our text says, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And look at verse 10. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Y'all, that could be the, the greatest thing of all. To find out what it is that God has, His perfect best plan for you to find out what it is that God loves that that he approves of the thing that he wants for your life I, I don't know how to put it but to me the implication of verse 10 is that when we put those filthy rags back on we're cheating ourselves of so much you ever have that time where you're like man I just don't know if I know what the Lord wants me. so you want me to move here does he want me to do this I just feel so disconnected hello sin it's sin. And he says, look, if, you'll, if you're willing to set that aside, to put on the righteous robes that Jesus paid for and wants you to wear, you will find what is that acceptable, good, perfect will of God. Let me close with this. I gave you that picture of the, the slaughterhouse, right? The, the, the enemy wants you. He just wants you to just do nothing. He wants you to go, man, that was a heavy message. What's for lunch? The enemy of your soul, Jesus said, if you believe Jesus, hope you do. He's come to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, but I've come that they might have life. And that more abundant 
Here's the thing. The sad reality is most of us Christians, we're not dead. We're definitely not who we used to be, right? But if we're honest, neither are we living the abundant life. Sometimes, here and there. But so often, we're not really, we're definitely not dead, but we're definitely not living the abundant life. Look at verse 14. Therefore, he says, and here's your two A's. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Here's what I think he's saying. Look, so much of the time, we, we, it's like we sleepwalk. We've been made alive, but we're sleepwalking. We're like dreaming of the day when we'll be righteous and pure. He says, look, I want you to awake. That is wake up to reality. That's why I keep talking about the crisis. God wants everyone in this room to be awake and go, whoa, I have a problem with this or this. But then he says, I want you to arise from the dead. To me, that's not just I I recognize that I have a problem, but also I'm willing to do something about it. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead because that's not who you are. And Christ will give you light. He's promised to give you light and life more abundant. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your mercy, your goodness. I thank you for the, the patience of your saints here. And Lord, please, let this be that moment, that day, that your beloved responded to your word. Or those who have been honest and said they have a problem, Lord, let them not just continue walking to the slaughter. We know the the wiles of the devil. We know he wants to to make each one of us comfortable in the path that we're on. Lord, instead, Lord, help us to awake, to arise from the dead. We trust you, Lord, that you have light. Lord, things that we don't even know of, Lord, ministry, opportunities that you have for us, joy, Lord, that awaits us, life abundant. Help us, Lord, to put aside the, the filthy works of the old man. To, to walk in the righteous robes, Lord, that you've prepared for us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.